You're listening to Wiretap with Jonathan Goldstein on CBC Radio 1 and Sirius Satellite Radio 137. Today's episode, All Beasts Go to Heaven. In the afterlife, you are treated to a generous opportunity. You can choose whatever you would like to be in the next life. Would you like to be a member of the opposite sex? Born into royalty? A philosopher with bottomless profundity? A soldier facing triumphant battles? But perhaps you've just returned here from a hard life. Perhaps you were tortured by the enormity of the decisions and responsibilities that surrounded you. And now there's only one thing you yearn for. Simplicity. So for the next round, you choose to be a horse. You covet the bliss of that simple life. Afternoons of grazing in grassy fields, the handsome angles of your skeleton, and the prominence of your muscles. The peace of the slow, flicking tail, or the steam riffling through your nostrils as you lope across snow-blanketed plains. You announce your decision. Incantations are muttered, a wand is waved, and your body begins to metamorphose into a horse. Your muscles start to bulge. A mat of strong hair erupts to cover you like a comfortable blanket in winter. The thickening and lengthening of your neck immediately feels normal as it comes about. Your fingers blend hoofward, your knees stiffen, your hips strengthen, and meanwhile, as your skull lengthens into its new shape, your brain races in its changes, and your dream of understanding what it is like to be a horse gallops toward you from the distance. Your concern about human affairs begins to slip away. Your cynicism about human behavior melts, and even your human way of thinking begins to drift away from you. Suddenly, for just a moment, you are aware of the problem you overlooked. The more you become a horse, the more you forget the original wish. You forget what it was like to be a human, wondering what it was like to be a horse. This moment of lucidity does not last long, but it serves as the punishment for your sins. A Promethean entrails pecking moment, crouching half horse, half man, with the knowledge that you cannot appreciate the destination without knowing the starting point. You cannot revel in the simplicity unless you remember the alternatives. And that's not the worst of your revelation, as you realize that the next time you return here with your thick horse brain, you won't have the capacity to ask to become a human again. You won't understand what a human is. Your choice to slide down the intelligence ladder is irreversible. And just before you lose your final human faculties, you painfully ponder what magnificent extraterrestrial creature, enthralled with the idea of finding a simpler life, chose in the last round to become a human.
Bart, you're the founder of Eternal Earthbound Pets USA. What, what exactly is the service that you're providing? Well, Jonathan, we are offering the service of pet insurance in the event of a rapture. Now, by rapture, you mean the moment described in the Bible when the faithful will rise up to heaven. Exactly. In the event of a rapture happening, uh, we will rescue your pet, adopt them, care for them for a very small fee. Now, right up front, we say in our website that uh, we are atheists. We don't believe the rapture is going to happen. Mm-hmm. However, uh, not being an absolutist, I will always reserve some miniature, minor percentage of possibility that I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'm there to stand up and execute our contracts. And how many contracts have you received so far? Well, I'll tell you, we have been getting 300 emails a day. I'll tell you that about 85% of them are from atheists who would like to sign on as post-rapture pet rescuers. The second largest number of emails and contacts we're getting are from Christians who are quite irate with us, because not all Christians, of course, believe in the rapture. Okay. And they see me as taking advantage of those who do believe in the rapture. And then the smallest percentage are those people who have a serious interest in contracting with us to rescue their pet should the rapture occur. Because the idea being that uh, if the rapture does occur, that pets won't ascend to heaven with their masters. Uh, I mean, and imagine a little pet pug with a halo on its head floating up into the air. It would be adorable. Right. I do get a lot of emails from Christians who say, oh, my pets are going with me, all dogs go to heaven, etc. I'm something of a student of religion. Mm-hmm. I have a degree in psychology with a minor in religion. Mm-hmm. I've read the Bible twice. There is nothing scriptural about animals going to heaven. When you think that the Christian doctrine requires belief in Jesus in order to enter heaven, which therefore negates Hindus and Muslims and Jews and atheists from entering heaven, to think that those human beings, as good as they may be, like Gandhi or like Anne Frank, would be condemned to hell, whereas your pet gerbil gets to go to heaven with you, I think that would be an obscene doctrine. Now, can can you accommodate special requests, like that a pet be raised in a religion-friendly environment? No. That is one thing you... We're not bar mitzvahing any dogs. We're not uh, baptizing any cats. We promise to care for them and and love them as our own. And that's the only promise we make. And what do you charge for this service? It's $110 for the first pet at any given address and $15 for each additional pet at that address. And, And this is to be paid on signing the contract or only once the rapture occurs? Oh, no, no. Everything's paid up front. You fill out your contract, which is online at our website, Uh, You hit the Pay Now button, and as soon as we receive both the contract and the payment confirmation from PayPal, the contract goes into effect for 10 years. Okay, now you do not offer any refunds, right, if it turns out there is no rapture? I think my terms and conditions are pretty well spelled out. Uh, You know, if the rapture doesn't happen, well, you've invested $11 a year to ensure that if it does happen, your pet's covered sort of like car insurance. You may pay for your car insurance for the whole year. If you didn't have an accident, you don't get your money back. So uh, we also, you know, cover the issue of, well, what happens if I'm not raptured, meaning I'm a believer, but I don't get to go up with Jesus. Right, and they've paid their money to you. Right. Sorry. We can't ensure that you're going to be raptured. All we can ensure is if you are, you know, we're there to stand behind our contract. And how do you ensure your representatives won't be raptured themselves and and thus unable to care for the pets left behind? 
Well, Jonathan, either my partner or I know each of the pet rescuers personally. Mm -hmm. So we know they're atheists. Mm -hmm. And most importantly, we require that all of our rescuers have also blasphemed in writing against the Holy Spirit in accordance with Mark 3.29. And those people who know their Bible know that the only unforgivable sin is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and completely negates any chance of salvation. So it's a very simple process by which we can ensure that they're not going anywhere. It's an interesting paradox that you've set up, right? I mean, you you as a non-believer are providing a service for believers that only a non-believer can provide. Exactly. You know, we're there to care for these pets on behalf of our Christian friends. And when you and when you say your Christian friends, you you mean that, right? You you you're not being ironic, you mean My wife is Christian. My wife is Episcopal. And does she believe in the rapture? No, Episcopals do not believe in the rapture. Okay. So I wouldn't want anyone to think that because I'm an atheist, I, I don't have Christian friends. I have more Christian friends than I do atheist friends. Uh, what, what does your wife think as a, as a Christian? What does she think of, of your operation? Well, initially, very frankly, initially she thought I was taking advantage of people. Uh, she thought that I was being unethical. And, and I said to her, well, if I were feigning belief in the rapture, it would be unethical. If I had no intent of executing the contracts, should the rapture happen, it would be unethical. But I'm upfront about my lack of belief. I am ready, willing, and able to execute the contracts in the event of the rapture. So from that perspective, uh, I don't see this as immoral or unethical in any way, shape, or form. The fact that I don't believe I will ever have to execute these contracts notwithstanding, Mm -hmm. I'm not the one who placed the concept of rapture into people's minds. I'm only there to help support if they believe the rapture is going to happen, help support any concerns they have about their pets. The fact that I'm making a profit from it is not unlike any insurance company or any psychiatrist or anyone who offers a service that offers peace of mind and protection. And she's come around to seeing it my way, but, you know, when you live with someone for 39 years, you know, you kind of get used to the way they think. Hmm. And we've been happily married for 39 years, so we've got a good marriage. Do you think you guys will personally take a pet in? Uh, oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. I cover the state of uh, New Hampshire myself, and uh, I have two dogs of my own. Uh-huh. They're like kids to me. Well, thank you so much for talking to me, Bart. My pleasure. Tuesday. Howard shows up at the door with his pugs, Desmond and Bruce. Bruce is his latest addition, and while Desmond has a face like Edward G. Robinson, Bruce has a face like Edward G. Robinson with a toothache. I've invited them over for an impromptu dinner party. After having only been in the apartment for several seconds, Howard sits down on a kitchen chair and pulls Bruce onto his lap. Have I introduced you to my grandmother Mitzi from Romania, Howard asks, wrapping a handkerchief around Bruce's head and tying it into an old country babushka. I was quite a looker when I was a girl, says Mitzi. I once danced a Polonaise before Nicholas II. Mitzi goes on to detail the infidelities of her third husband Erwin and caps off her storytelling by jumping onto the table and sticking her face into a bowl of hummus. 
I've always felt that the tone of any dinner party is established within the first 30 seconds. This is why it is no surprise to me that by the time the soup is served, Howard is on his all fours rattling the legs of the table while yelling, Earthquake! I begin wondering what Emily Post would do to get the dinner party back on track. I decide on pulling out a bottle of scotch. I pour shots all around, making sure to pour myself a double. I drink it and wonder when adulthood will finally have its day, as Howard sings Billie Jean while holding Mitzi's hand so she can best do the moonwalk. Sunday. I lie on my couch pretending I'm on a lifeboat. There have been so many lives lost, but right now, I must be brave. I close my eyes and float through the darkness, concentrating on my survival. When I grow bored of my survival, I reach for the TV remote on the coffee table, but it isn't there. It's on a shelf all the way across the room. When I was a child and didn't yet have complete faith in the immutability of life's rules, I spent many happy hours lying on the couch trying to psychically move objects across the room. Since teachers gave you points for effort, I thought effort counted for something, and that if God saw me exerting a little mental elbow grease, he'd suspend the laws of the physical universe just long enough to float a G.I. Joe doll across the room so my lazy rump wouldn't have to get up. I sit up in my lifeboat and mentally prepare myself for the task of getting up and wading through the water. Tuesday. Howard is going out of town for a jam tasting in the eastern townships, so I've agreed to babysit his pugs, Desmond and Bruce. Desmond likes his belly tickled. And Bruce likes it when you talk reassuringly when he's going to the bathroom, Howard tells me as he hugs them goodbye. On the walk back to my apartment, the dogs stop in front of the dépanneur at the corner of Howard Street and refuse to go any further. I call Howard on my cell. I always go into that store and buy them jerky, Howard explains. They won't move until they get some. Yeah, they're set in their ways, just like their old man. Desmond likes hickory, Howard informs me, while Bruce is more of a teriyaki man. And after I get them some, we make our way. When we round the corner onto my block, I see a film crew. It slipped my mind completely that they're filming an episode of Lay Boys here today. In preparation for the scene, they've swapped the address on my apartment for a new one. Twelve. A nice clean two-digit number. Seeing the number above my door has a completely disorienting effect on me. The American author John Cheever was interested in the secret, almost mystical power that names hold. One of his characters observes how, no matter what, a John will never leave a Mary. Maybe numbers have a similar sort of prophetic power. I remember how in high school it seemed the prettiest girls always, perhaps unfairly, had the easiest phone numbers to remember. I wonder what life would have been like for Jonathan Goldstein at number 12. I look down and see that Bruce is also in the midst of numerological contemplations, though his are centered entirely around the number two. That a boy, I say, 
making my voice as reassuring as I can muster. Upstairs in apartment 12, I lie down upon the lifeboat, my first and second mates soundly snoring beside their substitute captain. Hello. Hey, John. Hey, Howard. How you doing, man? Good, good. Thank you so much for taking care of the boys. They're so happy. Yeah. How can you tell they're happy? Well, I can just see the way they're banding around the house, and they just seem like they had a good vacation. And they say, don't pee on that. Desi, Desi, don't pee on that. Go to your pee spot. What's a pee spot? There are certain places around the house where it's kind of okay. I put a little pad down. Oh, do you? And you I, know I... what he was using as a pad at my house? What? My manuscript. Really? That I'm, that I'm, yeah. Because it's paper. Because my, my pee spot is paper. No, it was on top of my coffee table. you got to give it to the dog for being trained so well. I mean, he knows... How, how is that training? Pee. Because he knows he has to pee, and he knows that there's a, there's a designated pee spot, which is paper, and he probably looked around your apartment. He probably didn't see any paper except for leftover labels from booze bottles or something that somehow uh-huh. you peeled off. And, right. And then he just saw, ah, there's paper on top of the table, and he had to navigate for a pug. That's hard. You know, that's a hard business, getting to a tabletop. Like, did you say good dog or something after he did it? You have to encourage that, you know, you have to... The, the... No, I didn't say good. I shoot him off the table. And there's no one there to even tell him that he that he was a good boy, even though he was a good boy. He wasn't a good boy. You drop that, Brucey, you drop that. Don't mock me. That's a people squeeze toy. Let it go now. No. No. Uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to you later. Wait, 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 wait. I wanted to thank you, actually. You know, I was gone at the, at the Jamboree in, in, in Knowlton. Is that what they call it? Yeah, it's, it's called the jamboree. Thing. Yeah, it's jam tasting. Mm-hmm. So I brought you back some marmalade. Thank you. That's that's kind well, of. Well, I just to thank you for for taking care of the dogs. Right. What what flavor did you get me? Well, I got you potato. I just thought maybe you might enjoy it. It's kind okay. Of, that's very thoughtful. Thank well, you. Well, it's, it's a, it made me think of you. It's kind of starchy and white and tasteless mm-hmm. and. All right. Okay. Brucey, close the fridge. Learn how to open how the can, fridge. How can a dog open a you fridge? Learn how to open the fr- Brucey, close it. Put it back on the shelf where you found it. Good boy. Good boy. Don't growl. Don't you growl. Okay, a little bit. You can growl a little bit. I understand. It's frustrating. Close the fridge. All right, Howard, what, what do you want from me? I just have something to tell you. Okay, well, what is that thing? Request. What do you have to tell me? I've been kind of musing on mortality and thinking about life and, mm-hmm. and the big D. I'm talking about death. Mm-hmm. I've been working on a will, my last will and testament. And and, I, and and you're an integral part of it. Wait a second. Wait a second. Why why are you writing a will? I, I just I just explained. I mean, you know, you, I, you have nothing to leave behind. I have plenty to leave behind. I think I have more to leave behind than, than most people. Like what? Well, do you want? I mean, I've been working on this for a while here. What do you got there? It's my will. This right. is my last will and testament. Daddy, that's a straight razor. It's so crazy. He found my straight razor. I wake up in the morning, I open my eyes, and there's Desmond with the straight razor in his mouth over my neck. It's so cute. He wants to give Papa a morning shave. All right. Okay. Just hang on a moment. I'm going to read this to you. Must you? I must. I really, Howard, I don't feel like listening to your will. John, you're going to have to hear this, okay? Because I'm going to be dead, and you're going to have to be strong. You're going to have to be a strong little soldier. And you're going to have to carry on. Howard, how do you know that I'm not going to die before you? Most likely that'll be the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, the way you drink, you know, I and don't... Uh, you're quite inactive. I mean... That's not true. I, I've started going to the gym. Yeah, you go to the gym, the bartender down the street. You're going to die probably before me, well before me. 
long, long before me, John. God willing. Just keep me in mind, huh? You have a lot of things that I'd really like. I've got my eye on a lot of things in your place. <gasps> You've got some good stuff, boy chick. Anyway, enough about me. Yeah, enough about you wanting me dead. But I'm not, I don't want you to die. Well, as long thank as you. After me. Maybe we can die at the same time. Let's 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 make notes. Let's of that. try to yeah. We should work on that. We'll work on that, eh? I like that. It's kind of sexy. Here we go. I Aina Howard Neil Chakowitz, being of sound mind. That's a good one. Do hereby make, publish, and declare this to be my last will and testament. It's heavy, huh? Cut to the chase. What, what do you, you want me to tell you? Like who gets what? Cut well, tell me what I get. Ah, no, I get it. You do. You're looking for the money. Well, no, I thought that this oh, was what the, the money. I thought that's the why. Money. Yeah, that's sure. That's what friendship and love's all about. Howard, all I about don't. What, maybe you'll give me back some of my money, some of my money that I've lent you. Uh, let's see what I have here. For Josh, I have my paper out. That I think he might take over. It's my longstanding. It's been 25 years. Uh, my Japanese animation collection. For John Tucker, I was taking all my MMA, uh, my martial arts DVDs and magazines. And now for you, John. What you've been licking your chops about. I haven't dreaming been. Dreaming about, drooling about. I'm not, Howard. You know avarice is a sin, right, John? Howard, there's nothing that you have that I want. And now, my most prized possessions. Now, is this, is this what you're, 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 you're talking about leaving to me? Is it to me? Is this, is this for me? Is this me, me, mine, mine, gimme, gimme, gimme? Yes, Jonathan, it's for you. Listen, Howard, I don't care. I mean, you don't I don't care. You don't care. Anxiously digging your fingernails into your thighs, sweaty, sweaty palms. What am I gonna get? What am I gonna get? When's he gonna die? Can I get off the phone now, please? Don't, don't you want to know what it is? What is it? I bequeath to ye, Jonathan Goldstein, not a what, but who, whom, whom's, whom? What's the plural of whom? Those? Whom's? Okay, Howard, please, get to it. I'm leaving you Desmond and Brucey. I don't want them. They are the two most Howard, lovely Howard, adults that have ever graced the earth. They really? The dog's I, I, dog. I kept them for a couple days. I did you a favor. So so what was what could have possibly been so bad having these two little angels running around your house? Well, for one thing, I, I got no work done the entire time that they were there because, you know, Desmond had relieved himself on, on my manuscript. I was afraid to go near it until it dried a little bit. Okay, so you, did, you didn't work? I didn't. Desmond, did you, did you take them out for walks at all? Did you go out? Yes, I did, like, like three, four times a day. It was unbelievable. They kept scratching at the doors. Now, Jonathan... For the first time, and, and pardon the pun, but in a dog's age, you didn't bury your head in your work. You actually got outside. You took them for several walks. You had some sunlight. There was that, that big glowing orb in the sky. That's a sun. Mm-hmm. And you actually got exposed to it for a little bit. Mm-hmm. All right. As far as I can see, you were living. You were finally living. Well, I, uh, I mean... That's why I left the dogs with you. It wasn't for the dogs. And quite frankly, it took a long time to get the stink of your apartment off of them. Mm-hmm. They smell like they've been rolling around in like old scotch and cigarettes and old bread or something. Okay. It's for you. I was leaving the dogs for you. All right. Well, ha- Howard, that's a, that's. I mean, that's a really nice sentiment. Yeah. I, well, thank you. I'll, yeah. You know, I'll I'll be honored to take Desmond and Bruce. That's good, John. That's really good. Mm-hmm. I think we we we've learned a lot today. Oh, have we? Important lessons today. Yes. Yeah. We've taken a big step forward. Mm-hmm. In your life, I'm I'm very. Don't fight. They're really. Woof. They're all. What did you give them? What did I you... gave them nothing, don't, Howard. Don't, 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 just had to fight. Get stop it, guys. Maybe they miss having my couch cushions to bite into. Which, by the way, they've completely ruined. 
No, De- no, Desi's vomiting. Desi, don't, don't vomit. Get let go of my leg. Let go of my pants. Let go. Drop that. Desi, stop eating bubble wrap. Don't you growl. That's my bubble wrap. Give it back. Wiretap today, you heard Descent of Species, a short story by David Eagleman from his book, Some, 40 Tales from the Afterlives. It was read by Katie Malik. You also heard Howard Chakowitz and Bart Carter from eternal-earthbound-pets.com. Wiretap is produced by Jonathan Goldstein with Mira Bertwintonic and Crystal Duhame. Tune into Wiretap Saturdays at 1.30 and Thursday evenings at 11.30. Or subscribe to the podcast through our website at cbc.ca slash wiretap, where you can watch the brand new wiretap video, The Gang's All Here. Once there, you can also download this week's ringtone. Good boy. Good boy. Don't growl. Good boy. Get the positive reinforcement you crave with every ring of your phone. Cow gun, cow gun, take me away. I'm in the dirty, dirty with my nephew.